When I was preparing to preach for this Sunday, I realized that three years ago, I preached on the same exact text. And while I was tempted to use the same exact sermon, <laughs> I was a little worried that you all would be suspicious. But one thing I did notice about that sermon that I preached those years ago is that I totally eliminated the last part of the scripture. The part that talks about, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And if I'm honest with you, I didn't talk about it because I didn't really quite know how I wanted to talk about it. So I focused on the historical context and talking about Moses and Nicodemus and the other figures that you'll hear Karen read in a moment. But I think there's something beautiful in time. And there's discoveries that can happen over the years. And this Sunday seems perfect to talk about the, that last verse. See, last Sunday we marked the birth of the church with tongues of fire and with the Holy Spirit breathing life into the world. And the early Christians were, and maybe we too, were born from above. And today we celebrate the baptism of Hudson. And with water and God's spirit, we mark God's ending love. Our passage for today is often read sacramentally, marking what happens in baptism as being born again of water and of the Holy Spirit. While other churches use this passage as an invitation for believers to come forward and say words and have hearts transformed and two, to be born again. But this passage is about so much more than being born again. I can imagine Freud's eyebrows arching at this suggestion. What kind of mama complex does Christianity have? And Nicodemus even squirms at this notion. He asks Jesus, can one enter a mother's womb for a second time? And I'm sure mothers and children everywhere breathe a sigh of relief that this is not the litmus test for faith. But the Greek here is not necessarily born again. It can also mean born from above, born of God's spirit. That is not necessarily a one-time act, but one that we can play over and over again each and every day, one that we can play over and over again in each moment of our lives, an opportunity and an invitation to live as God's people in the world. This classic reading <laughs> is taken from the book of John chapter 3. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one else can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, 
No one can enter, enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I say to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorified in your sight. For you, O oh God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Several weeks ago, my husband Dan and I were having friends over for supper, David and Barbara. David's actually a Lutheran pastor at a local church, and Barbara, his wife, um, has worked in publishing and a variety of other, other areas. And it's this funny moment in your life as a young adult where your friend group starts to grow. See, David and Barbara are actually the parents of another friend. And having them over for dinner felt like this monumental moment for us. <laughs> But it was interesting, as we talked about our lives and our faith that night, I learned a little bit more about Barbara. See, she grew up Southern Baptist in the 50s and 60s, and she told us how, as a girl at youth group, they used to compete doing sword drills. <laughs> now, against members of their own congregation, there'd be a competition, and then, if you were good enough at those competitions, then you would enter larger competitions against neighboring congregations. And then if you made your way through that bracket, then you made it to a national competition. And as she told this story, initially, I could not help but envision little ones holding sabers fencing in church halls across the South. But as Barbara continued to speak, it became clear. Youth would be told to draw their swords, and they would hold out their Bibles, the swords being scripture, and they would asked, be asked to turn to a specific book and chapter and verse. 
The first youth to turn to the correct pericope or passage within the scripture would step forward, read aloud the passage, and move to the next round. And while the militaristic language around this book that is dedicated to love is troubling, the importance placed on the power of scripture is something that I lament in my own life and my own childhood. See, while Barbara has reworked her theology from one that was about judgment and condemnation to one that was about grace, these practices, in these practices, she also learned the power that lays within Scripture. And Barbara was gifted with the knowledge of Scripture that has stayed with her. Scripture as a tool to give comfort and guidance is incredibly powerful. And she's used this tool when life has met her with impossible sadness and grief. And she's also used this tool when life has met her with great joy. Listening to a podcast, a radio program recently, I heard a humanist chaplain from Harvard reflect on her own deep sadness around not having a sacred text. She told how on one of the hardest days of her life, when realizing that she, the love she had for her fiance was not enough and their relationship ended, she went home at the end of that day and her body was exhausted from the emotional toll and she could not sleep. Her mind was racing. She tried to meditate and do yoga. She tried to breathe deeply but what she longed for was a sacred text where she could feel comfort and assurance and peace. And our scripture can be this tool for us. It has been used in the past as a sword with which to wound, but it can also be a bomb with which to heal, to guide, to strengthen and encourage and to reflect the joy that is in our lives. This passage that Karen just read is one of the most famous in all of Christianity. It's made into bumper stickers and billboards. And I actually even have a church in college that handed out John 3.16 chip clips so that any time I wanted to indulge in a savory snack, I'd be reminded, for God so loved the world. <laughs> and this passage is especially, though, has been used to manipulate to instill shame and fear, creating a Christian in-group. Either you've done or said these things, and God's grace has been poured out, or you haven't, and we know what follows. The institution of church is good and has been good at creating and cultivating guilt and shame. I remember as a little girl encountering Barbara's sword drills, though in a slightly different way. See, my father, too, had been raised Southern Baptist, and he swung to the other end of the spiritual pendulum. And so when I was born, he was serving as a pastor at a Unitarian church in Colorado Springs. In the summers, my brother and I would travel, though, to that rural town in Virginia where he grew up. And we'd stay for my grandparents for a week or two, giving my mom and dad much desired time away. And it would give my brother and I a chance to be spoiled. I remember 
breakfasts of Krispy Kreme donuts and evenings filled with ice cream. But I also remember the one summer when I was six. Our visit coincided with the High Hills Baptist Church's Vacation Bible School. And honestly, I was excited to attend. My teachers were all women who had known and grown up with my father, Harvey Jr., as they called him. And knowing that I was a pastor's kid, that first morning, I was called forward to be a shining example. Kendra's father's a pastor, the teacher told the whole class. We are so excited to have her join us, and today she will lead us in our morning Bible memory exercise. My palms had grown sweaty and my eyes had grown wide. See, my closeted Christianity was something that my family practiced at home, but my church life was something of a compilation of sacred texts and practices, as is true in many Unitarian churches. And I began to sweat with fear and anxiety, anticipating what was going to happen next and worried that these people would discover that I was a fraud. Come to the chalkboard and order these books of the Bible. She put her hand on my back and propelled me forward. My lip began to quiver and tears welled up in my eyes. And I did the one thing that I knew how to do. I ran. (laughs) I ran as fast as I could out that door. And needless to say, the teacher did not try and make an example of me for the rest of the week. I think I was an example enough. And I was so relieved. And I'm also grateful, though, that I did not stay in that place of shame. I'm grateful that I had a family that loved me and encouraged my questioning. I'm grateful that I continued to study and engage with scripture. And while I don't have the scriptural knowledge that some I wonder what, in each and every one of our lives, are those beacons in the dark, those touch points that give us strength and guidance and encouragement? And in times of joy, what do we turn to? And in moments of deepest pain, what can we draw upon? I recently put out a question asking people what their favorite hymns were. Because in music, something deep with inside us is connected. And I asked what, people, what hymns people turn to when life is good and beautiful to celebrate that joy. And we might find out our hearts singing, Come thou fount of every blessing. And then what are the hymns that are there when our hearts are weary and heavy laden? Where we can find rest and peace, our souls may sing and cling to God's promise. Don't be afraid. My love is stronger, my love is stronger than your fear. What hymns help us connect to our foremothers and fathers in faith? We might join with our grandparents, our grandmothers and fathers, or our own parents. 
And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. Music is so often that point for us. And scripture can be this place too. As we look at John 3.16, this famous and infamous scripture, how can we hold on to it as a touch point, reclaiming words that may have hurt or ignored or exiled us? See, as I read this passage, this is what I often hear. For God so loved the world. God loved the world so much that God wanted to enter into the mess and brokenness of humanity with us so that we would not be owned by messages of judgment and performance, but instead by messages of unconditional grace and love. Love and grace that let us live and live abundant, and love and grace that let us live long after our bodies are gone. For God did not come down to earth to speak of judgment and of rules to bring shame or guilt, but so that the world might know another way of living, a way of love. For God so loved the world. God so loves the world. God so loves you and God so loves me. And this is what we remember today with baby Hudson, and with all of us. For God so loves the world. When I was writing my paper for ordination, I had a song that, much to my roommate's chagrin and then aggravation and then irate anger, I would play it on loop constantly. For hours, it would cycle through again and again. And it wasn't a hymn and it wasn't scripture, though for me, God's holy words spoke in it. And it spoke of a life of faith and of our search for the source of love in the world. And later in the service, we'll hear Gabby sing that song for us, Closer to Fine by the Indigo Girls. I'm going to leave it to Gabby because she's much better at it than I am. But but (laughs) this question of Where can we go and what can we turn to to give us comfort in moments when we need it? Where can we go and what can we turn to for strength and assurance and peace? And I turn to that song to remind myself of the love of God, to remind myself that all would be well and that I was well. I played that song to give me strength. And two summers ago, I traveled with friends from Divinity School to Vermont, where we rented a cabin and celebrated the marriage of two beautiful people. And upon entering the cabin, we found a CD player, which are rare these days, with one blank burned CD. And as we cooked dinner, we turned on the only music we could find, and the voices of the Indigo Girls sang out this same song that had walked with me as I had learned to walk with God. And the holy was present. In your song, in your lives, in all of our lives, what songs, what stories, what scriptures do we want to play again? 
What do we want to play over and over to give us strength for the journey, encouragement in times of trouble? What gives voice to the joy of this life? Maybe as we graduate high school or as we walk our children, watch our children walk across those stages, as we baptize our babies, as we take on a new job or relationship, as we mourn the losses in our lives and as we celebrate new beginnings. What are the voices to give joy to this life? Where the sacred is nestled within the secular. Maybe it's the Indigo Girls or Mary Oliver or the old rugged cross. Maybe it's Oasis or the Grateful Dead even. What can we play again and again? Drawing upon the beauty and the wealth and the depth of the sacred. And also, how can we draw upon the beauty and the wealth and the depth of our sacred text? Reclaiming it, not some sword to wound, but a balm to heal. So that messages of love and curiosity and resilience and hope may be messages that we play over and over in all of the seasons of our lives. For God so loved and loves this world, this broken and messy world, that God wanted to enter it with us so that we may know a different way to live and so that each day, each and every day, each moment, we have the opportunity to follow God's way of justice and peace and love. And we too can be born again, born from above with God's spirit. May the message be one that we play again and again and again in our lives. Amen.